I have props this morning, which is fun. So I'm going to go get my props and talk to you as I do. If you're new to Redemption, my name's Stephen. Nice to meet you. We'd love to help you get connected. Easiest way to do that, after service today, stop out in the lobby, and uh, somebody will be at the table out there, and they would love to answer any questions that you may have. And uh, if you've been around Redemption for a long time, but you are at a point where you want to get more connected, uh, best thing to do is do the exact same thing. Go out to the lobby table and fill out a card or chat with somebody out there. Uh, you can join a team. You can get into a life group. You can join us Wednesday night for midweek. A lot going on here, and our sincere hope is to help you get connected. And so please let us know how we can help you do that. This morning, we are continuing on in our series entitled The Heart of a disciple, the heart of a disciple. And what we're doing in this series is, well, you guessed it, figuring out the heart of a disciple. And we kicked this off two weeks ago, and I gave kind of a general idea of where we were headed. And this series is actually building upon our first series of the, uh, of the year. And the whole idea that we're going after this year is, what does it mean to be a disciple? A follower of Christ and his teaching. And we're walking through kind of the different ways we're formed or trained in discipleship. And it starts in the heart. And the first thing the uh, disciple does in their heart is they choose, who am I going to follow? Am I going to follow Christ or the world? Uh, Christ or myself? And the disciple is chosen to follow Jesus and his teaching. And so in this series, we're looking at three postures of the heart of a disciple. Posture one is grace or acknowledging God's grace in our lives. Posture two is repentance. We're going to talk about that today. And then posture three is affections or setting our affections towards God. We looked at an Old Testament passage that said it this way, putting away your foreign gods and inclining your heart. See, in the scriptures, it's always both. It's never just um, no and then nothing. It's no and then yes to something or it's put off and put on. It's something else dies and something else begins. Or as we're saying it, it's repentance, and then it's setting our affections on Christ. Last week, we talked about grace. We defined grace like this. Grace is the unmerited move of God in your heart that awakens you to salvation. Grace, as one song says it, it arrests you. Grace, grace comes, and it, it's like, like it captures you. That's what grace is. And, and grace awakens your heart to salvation. And so last week we talked about grace. Now, in the book of Romans, Paul tells us what grace is supposed to do. When we experience the power of God's grace, in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it tells us that it should lead to repentance. And so there's this process that God is showing us that first grace captures us and it brings us to repentance. And after repentance happens, then our affections are set on Christ. This morning, I have some props to help us out a little bit. And so over here, it's going to represent loves that rival God. Uh, sin. Or, or the natural inclination of the human heart, like I talked about last week, which is to turn from God and to turn towards the world. Or as Paul said it, we're dead in our sin. Our heart is naturally drawn to this. We are by nature children of wrath, and our heart is toward this, and then grace awakens us to salvation, and then repentance actually turns us back to God. And this morning, I didn't want you to get confused. And so I thought, I need some kind of symbol or some kind of image. And so I got the most kind of vile 
file. I don't, I don't want this to break. Um, thing that I could represent. Okay, I'm just going to let you rest there so that doesn't happen. Okay, um, and so I want to get something that kind of, I don't know, epitomized the world or chasing the things of the world and uh, and it would be an image for you, and you probably kind of already know what's in this brown paper bag, but, but I actually kind of felt a little weird bringing it into church this morning and kind of bad, um, but, but I wanted an image that would represent it. And so um, this morning, you probably already kind of guessed what's in here. Um, yeah, it's a Michigan football, okay? And so um, we don't cheer for sin here, okay? <laughs> Pay attention today. <laughs> um, yeah, I wanted something that just represented evil, right? <laughs> and, and so this morning, uh, you know, as I go this way, just remember, sin, <laughs> right? And this way um, is, is Christ. Okay, so grace stops us in our tracks headed toward despair. Repentance then. Is when grace has moved in us and we go, there's something else. Oh, and I want that thing now. So this morning I want to talk about repentance, which repentance is one of these like hard, strong, big words, right, in Christianity. And sometimes it gets like a negative connotation with it. But repentance is actually the road to freedom. There is no freedom apart from repentance. There's no transformation apart from repentance. What repentance is, is simply, I was going this way, and now I'm going this way. And so I want to walk you through like the phases of repentance. We're going to study Psalm 32 in order to do this. Psalm 32 is one of, um, they're known as the repentance psalms. I, I believe there's six of them. And Psalm 32 uh, is the one that we're going to look at this morning. And it's David who's writing this. And many people think it's out of one of David's more popular, um, I don't know if popular is the right word, most well-known sins. And he's writing it out of that moment. David starts like this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I used this verse in our happiness series a couple of months ago because it, and this psalm starts off great. He's saying this is the path to happiness or joy or life or goodness. And it, it happens through forgiveness and receiving the forgiveness of God. And there's joy in that when there's no longer something hidden inside of us and God has taken care of it then and he's rescued you from it. And so what, the, what David's doing here at the beginning is he's actually showing us the end result. The end result is joy, is happiness, or Jesus calls it the abundant life. Paul calls it the life that is truly life. It's the life I want every one of you to experience. The way we say it around here is it's, it's experiencing redemption and living in freedom. That's the end result. And so David starts us off there, but then he walks us through the process of getting there, which is not always easy, which is not always pretty. It is a process. It can be a difficult one, but this is what it is to be a disciple of Christ. And so, so he, he starts us off with, with kind of the end in mind. At the end, he says, uh, the, the happy person, the blessed person, also in their, in their spirit, there is no deceit. Now, why would there be deceit in our spirit? Could be for a couple of reasons. One, um, because there's, uh, because we've never turned to Christ. Two, because there's a sin in our life that we know is wrong, but we don't want to give it up. 
or three, it could be because there is a rival love inside of us. There's something that we love more than God. Even if we've stepped into our salvation, our heart is still prone to this thing. We call it a God, all right? A foreign God is the terminology used in the Old Testament. And I defined God like this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a God is the desire of your heart where you find your, your greatest joy, your greatest peace, or your greatest hope for a better future. And a God could look like anything. I mean, a God could be, could be that, that one goal that you have and you know, if I just get that, then my life will mean something. A God could be uh, uh, um, the, the amount you want to make or the place you want to get in life or the person you want to marry or whatever it might be. And it becomes a rival. And typically, gods are good things. Except for this one. Typically, gods are good things, but they're good things that we turn into God things. They're good things that we actually turn into God. And they were never meant to be God. And they can never satisfy us as God would. And our heart is, is bent towards these things. And, and he says, the person who, who lives with no deceit means that, that there's no longer like a rivalry happening in their heart. They've just given themselves to God. They've, they've been able to put to death the sin that they've been caught up in, or they've been able to forgive the person that, that, uh, that they need to forgive. And so there's no deceit anymore and they can experience joy. Or, or they're able to deal with the tension in their heart as it relates to somebody else. Like there's a lot of different ways that, that we then live honestly. We've dealt with the stuff in our own heart. And he says, that's the happy person. Now, how do we get there? Well, getting there is what we'll call repentance. Repentance is how we get there. And there are phases of repentance that I want to walk you through this morning. So repentance is the overarching theme, but this is how repentance actually works. These are the phases of repentance. Now, the first phase of repentance is actually a pre-phase of repentance, David says it this way, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. You know what the preface of repentance is? Cover or conceal. That's the preface. Preface of is we're covering our sin. We see this in the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve do this. They sin and what do they do? They hide and they cover and they try to hide themselves from God. And what Adam and Eve did in the garden and the whole picture of that is just a picture of how all humanity works. And so when we sin, uh, the natural inclination then is to cover uh, it to hide it, whether it's from other people because we don't want to live the practical ramifications of it or it's God himself and we try to hide something from God who made us and knows us, but we think we can. And why do we hide our sin? Why do we cover it? Sometimes it's pride. We don't want to admit that we've uh, made a mistake, that we've sinned. Sometimes we cover it out of fear. We don't want to have to walk in the consequences of the sin. Uh, Sometimes it's because we're simply spiritually unaware and we don't know the grace that God has for us if we'll simply uncover it and walk in what he has for us. But for whatever reason, we cover it. And what is the damage of covering it? David lays it out. He says, as, you, as we cover sin, as we continue on to the journey of that which is opposite of our love for Christ, he says, this is what happens. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. 
For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I particularly think this is talking about those who are in Christ. Those who are in Christ already have made that turn to salvation, but now their, their, their heart is going back toward a false love. What happens? Our bones waste away. As you look through the psalm, what you see is David is saying, there are physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual consequences to this covering. That sometimes, and I'm not saying in any way that all sickness is a result of sin, but I am saying that what David is alluding to here and the psalms do is that sometimes you can actually see the physical damage of sin on somebody. You can just look at them. They're beaten, tired. It's like their body is actually changed by it. And they're just wearing the weight of the sin. It says it eats away at you physically. It eats away at you relationally sometimes where there used to be relationship with somebody, but then the sin has crept in and it's created a disconnect. And you go, whatever happened to that relationship? Some type of sin got in there and began to break it apart. Other times it's emotional. Your peace, your joy is gone. And, and, and you could be at like an elevation concert on stage and, and they're singing your favorite song and there would be no movement because the covering of sin has just begun to eat away at your soul. That's the last one. There's, there's like, it drenches up your soul and, and, and you become like a dry desert and it's like nothing, nothing awakens you anymore. And David says, this is, this is how David says, this is how I felt. And David says, we're all human, so, so I imagine we'd probably all feel the same way, that when we, when we cover sin or when we keep chasing these false gods, when we don't deal with the idols of the heart, particularly when we already are in Christ, then what happens is, is, is this begins to happen. And it's worse. You look at people and you like, they're a shell of what they used to be. Where did that life go? Where did it go? It's the covering of sin. Sometimes you can identify that there's like something wrong with somebody in your life and like you don't even know what it is. And later you'll find out, ah, there was a covering of sin or there was an idol worship of the heart and it was eaten away at them. Now, this is the preface, the covering phase. And it is a, it's a, it's a dangerous spot, but, but God... God loves you. And he doesn't want you sticking around in the covering phase. And so God has created a mechanism to move us out of the cover stage. We'll call it phase one. And that is conviction. Conviction. Conviction then is what draws us out of the covering phase. David says it like this with this line. He says, your hand was heavy upon me day and night. And for the Christ follower, the one who is in Christ, when, when there is this hidden sin or this rival love inside of us, we have felt this, where our soul is no longer at peace, like it can't be, like I can't rest where there's this tension between me and my brother. I can't rest when, uh, when I know that I have committed this sin or this repeated sin. I can't rest when I know that God is calling me to, to forsake that idol and to turn back to him. And part of spiritual maturity, by the way, is when the sin gets smaller, but the conviction gets quicker. Where in the past, you may have done like this, 
and you felt no conviction. And then in a moment, like you, you think something wrong about somebody. And spiritual maturity is the Holy Spirit goes, oh, and you go, and somebody thinks you just murdered somebody. <laughs> and you're like, what'd you do? And you're like, I thought that person was dumb. <laughs> and they are, but I thought it. <laughs> and it breaks you. People are like, are you okay? And you're like, I'm fine. I just, I don't want anything in my heart that's against him. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. And so conviction first happens with the Holy Spirit just kind of like, like dropping on us. But here's what happens in our lives. Our conscience begins to be seared. And so what, what used to convict us, we get good at like crossing the line. And whereas we used to cross the line, uh, it, it, would, it would affect us. But then eventually we cross the line and it no longer does. We just keep work, working further and further away. And, and what we've done is we've, uh, our conscience has been seared. And so no longer than the heavy hand of the Lord. It's like it doesn't work anymore. But God in his love doesn't just leave us in that. What he does is he has some other ways of doing it. And one of them is the scriptures. And so he then uses the scriptures as a, as a part of conviction. Like, okay, in every movie or TV show, when, when somebody gets, like, captured or kidnapped or held captive or something like that, like, what happens? Like, the hand always goes over the mouth, and they say what? Like, don't say anything. And as soon as they drop the hand, what do they do? Woo! Right. And like, don't talk. Right? Like, I'll, I'll take my hand off your mouth if you don't say anything. They always do that. Well, part of the way conviction works, and one of the ways we know that we're kind of in this path right now, is we start to avoid the scriptures, or we start to avoid sermons that are preached out of the Bible. Right? Why? Because every time the Bible opens up, it goes, whoop! We go, whoo. I was practicing the, my sermon this morning, and I kept going, whoop! And Reagan goes, Dad, why are you whooping? <laughs> and then what do we do? We grab the scriptures and we say, okay, don't talk. I'll open you, but don't say anything to me. We go to church and we'll say, okay, I'll be here, but don't say anything to me. And if you do, I'm going somewhere else. Don't whoop at me. And God uses the scriptures then to convict us. Then a lot of times we get better at justifying why that verse doesn't relate to us. Like, oh, it must not be talking about me. It's got to be talking about that guy over there. And so, so then we begin to, 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 uh, to be able to move past that conviction. And the God in his great love, he just continues to work. And so uh, then another way he does this is he actually uses other people. In the scriptures, we see God actually use the, the prophet Nathan in David's life. And Nathan actually shows us the exact right way to do this. Because Nathan shows up and he lays something out in front of David who was clearly in sin. And he lays it out in truth, saying exactly what God told him to say. And then you know what David or Nathan does next? You know what it says in the text? It says he went home. Not he went to Facebook and told everybody else. Not he went and texted people and said, hey, did you hear? No, no, no. Nathan went. He told the person. He said, okay, I'll leave it in God's hands. That's how we're supposed to do that. And then sometimes what God will do is he will use other people to convict us. And then 
If that doesn't work, and, and oh, and by the way, um, don't don't be like this. Like like sometimes when that happens in our lives, what we do is we go, well, you're just judging me. Now don't mix proper friend conviction with hip, hypocrisy judgment. Like like these are two very different things. Like we need this kind of friend in our, you need this kind of friend in our, I need this kind of friend in my life, right? Then if that doesn't work, God has another way of, of utilizing conviction uh, and it's called discipline and we see it in Hebrews and, and this could look a lot of different ways and, and, and the writer of Hebrews is very clear to make, it, make us know that all of this discipline is just rooted in absolute love and one of those disciplines is church discipline and, and some of you might be like, well, I don't even go to church anymore because, because or I, I took away, or I went away from church because I, I don't like the idea of church discipline but all church discipline is is when a whole bunch of people then starting as small as possible and getting bigger are just looking at the person who's in sin and headed this way and saying, please stop, please stop, please stop, please stop. It's not good for you. Now in all of this, by the way, particularly when it starts to relate to other people, what we have to remember is that this is then based on trust. And this is why church is a family. And this is why anyone who, who, who is in a sin and we're used to help um, um, convict them or, or, or in that process that we guard them. Like they're not supposed to cover up their sin, but we're supposed to cover them in love as a church family. Like rule of thumb, if you wouldn't talk about your brother or sister in that way, don't talk about another Christian that way. Because if you do, then you just don't understand what the church is. Because we're family. Like if your brother or sister messed up big time, you would never go to Facebook or the internet and write all about it. Why? You'd protect them because they're your brother and sister. That's where we are in the church. Like never should a Christian write something negative about another Christian in a public arena. That's your brother or sister in Christ, right? Now, this is all part of this conviction process that when what God is trying to do is he's trying to get the person to turn, to turn, right? And then it works because David goes into phase two. He says, after the conviction, after the heavy hand of the Lord, and, and we know that God had to use Nathan, and then actually God had to use discipline in David's life here that was like horrendous discipline. Like, I don't even bring it up. Like, it was hard, right? Then what does David say in verse five? He said, he enters into phase two. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It, it, then it moves into phase three, I'm sorry, phase two, which is confession. Phase two is confession. And maybe when I say the word confession, you think of a couple of famous Bible verses. If you confess with your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Or if you confess with your mouth and believe in the Lord that Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And these are all true verses. But, what, but what the confession I'm talking about right now is phase two of the overarching theme of repentance. And, and what confession is, if we're following the metaphor, is this, is your, your heart is going this way and then conviction, which I would say is a part of grace, has like arrested you. And then con, con, uh, confession is the moment where you stop and you go, okay, God, you're right. I'm in the wrong. Uh, my heart is prideful. 
I'm refusing to forgive that person. This sin pattern's got to stop. I love this thing more than you. And you and you finally stop and you confess that that's what's going on inside. And by the way, you will never get to the joy, life, hope, peace that God wants you to until you go through this road. And I know the road can be tough and hard, but it is the only path to freedom. It's the only path. And and so confession then stops in a moment. And here's the beauty of God's grace. You know what he does in this moment, in the confession moment? In the confession moment, and confession is often tied to forgiveness. And here's what the scriptures do not mean about confession and forgiveness. It does not mean that, that you have to confess like every time you sin and then be like re-forgiven. Like maybe some of us, I was one of them, grew up in an environment where you thought like, if the last thing I do is sin and I haven't confessed it, then I go to hell. Horrible way to live, <laughs> right? You know, like, like what it's saying here uh, is, is that when you confess, what, it, what it's saying is that you like receive a forgiveness, and there's something different about, about something being granted and something being received. Okay, say, say somebody was being really kind and they're like, hey, Stephen, I want to buy you dinner. And like, where do you want it? And I'm like, Zingo's. Let's go to Zingo's, right? Like, that sounds good. And like, okay, I'm going to, uh, I'll call ahead. What do you want? A junk salad, of course. Okay, all Euro. Like, that's what, you know, that's my order. And, and so they call ahead, right? And, and, and they pay the $49 for the one Zingo salad, right? <laughs> And, uh, and then they say, all you have to do is just go pick it up. And so I get there and I show up and, and I get there and I say, hi, I'm Stephen. Right? I'm confessing who I am. And, and they're like, here's your salad. And, I, and in that moment, I get it. Like, I, I, I receive it. But what don't I have to do? Pay for it. Why? Because it was already paid. Confession is like showing up and saying, God, I messed up. And he goes, I'll take the forgiveness that I already paid for. Just receive it and let it go inside. There's no shame. There's no condemnation in me. Just receive the forgiveness I've already given you. And then you get to receive it. And it's just as delicious as that salad. And it brings you back. That's what confession does. And the enemy... The enemy wants you to think, if you confess, you're done. If you confess, it will crush you. It will kill you. It will ruin you. If you confess, you'll never get to a place of joy or happiness. And the scripture is telling you, if you don't, you will just keep going down this road to a place of absolute destruction. So that's phase two, confession. David says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I'm not going to cover my iniquity anymore. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Oh, and you forgive me. See, here's where forgiveness breaks in, the forgiveness of the cross. When Christ in a moment forgave all of your sins and when you received your salvation, past, present, and future, those sins were paid for and covered. And then when you confess, and this is why we continue to confess even after we're Christ followers. Like I don't confess now as a Christ follower because I want to be saved again. I confess now as a Christ follower because I want to receive the beauty of that forgiveness all over again. 
Oh, because it's so, it's actually joyous in, in the sense of like, I just receive his grace again. I don't enjoy that I've sinned. Like whenever somebody's like, I don't regret my past. I'm like, oh no, I, gr- I regret everything that was sin. I regret everything that was sin. Why would I want to offend my father? Of course I regret it. Oh, but I also live in the joy of the forgiveness that he's passed on to me. And now this, this begins to then, uh, to, to, to then get us to a point now where we're like, so remember, we're all in this repentance phase. And I know it happens a lot quicker than this, but, but, but we were journeying through here. We were covering, and then conviction happened, and however it happened, and then confession happened. And now we're almost getting to the point of turning. But here, this is the breaking point. Even when forgiveness has already been received, this is why you have seen follower, people in your life who are followers of Christ, who have um, heartfelt conviction and confession. Like it was real. It was real conviction. It was real confession. And you looked in their life six months later, a year later, and what were they doing? Going back and you go, man, I thought their conviction was real. It probably was. It may not have been, but it probably was. I thought that confession meant something. Well, they probably did. But why are they going back? Because they didn't get to phase three. You know what phase three is? In Galatians 5, Paul says it this way. He says, crucify. Crucify. The passions and the desires of the flesh. This, friends, this is the hard part. Like, why do you think Paul used the word crucify? He didn't say cuddle up next to it. He said crucify the sin. Crucify the rival love. You have to put it to death. In our earlier story in this series, we talked about how David, I'm sorry, how how Jacob was granted a new identity, but that new identity wasn't granted until he buried the foreign God. Like in this moment, God is like, I want to give you freedom and I want you to be granted a new identity in me and I want you to move toward this, but I can't get you there until you crucify the thing. Because sometimes through conviction and confession, we think we crucify it, but if we haven't really killed the sin, like if we haven't really grabbed and be like, no, (laughs) I should open that door and like throw it backstage. That would have been a very dramatic moment. Like if we don't kill it, then what happens? Then we kind of hang out in this middle ground. But if we don't kill it, then it begins to birth itself back out. We find ourselves three years later in the same spot or the same sin or loving the same thing. And that's why Paul says, you have to crucify it. You have to kill it. And the enemy in this moment, right when you get about to like stomp on it and kill it, you get like right here and the enemy goes, hold on. Let me talk to you just for one second. And the enemy goes, if you kill that thing, you will never be happy. If you kill that thing, the thing that you have been looking for your whole life, you'll never find. And the enemy tries to get you to believe just like in the garden, that if you kill it, God's holding out on you. 
And so a lot of times we get right there and then we go, well, maybe it. Okay, God, I learned my lesson. I loved it too much. Let me pick it back up. And here's what we try to do. We think we can do this. Like, hush, little sin, don't you cry. Like, just walk with me. And we think what we can do is, is we can walk toward what God wants us and we can just hold this. I mean, you can see the logo. How nasty does this look? And this is how disgusting we look when we're trying to walk towards him and holding this. You can't. There we go. Crucifixion over. Sorry. Hit somebody. You have to get rid of it. Because the only way then, it's the only way you can turn back around and start heading there is when it's gone. In the psalm, it says, pray to him while there's still time. And what it's saying is like, like call out to God when there's still like a moment that you can be like, like, like saved from this horrible path. And by the way, this process can repeat itself multiple times in life. And some of us have walked down this process and we have gotten to a place of absolute despair and God in his good grace, like he lifts us up and he brings us out of it. But man, we had to live the sheer pain of walking out. So this is something that can happen with our whole lives or something that can happen in seasons of our lives. And what the psalmist or David was saying next was like, like before it gets too late, like pray to him before the waters, he says, rush over you and drown you. He's like, escape it, crucify it, put it to death. Because once you put it to death, what happens? Then, then you've, you've, you've turned in that phase of repentance. Repentance has had its full effect. And then what happens is your heart turns. And it begins to gaze at the beauty of something so much greater. We'll talk about the next two phases next week of what happens between here and there. But true repentance then turns and it sees how beautiful Christ is. And it is just drawn to him. And it never looks back because your heart is so drawn to how beautiful he is. Your affections have turned. My dad told us this story growing up a couple different times. You know, he's a dad. He's only got three good stories, right? I'm a dad now. I only got three good stories, right? And the story was that he, would, he was driving home from some family that we have in West Virginia. And um, the drive back from West Virginia, particularly 20 years ago, was like a very like dark, I don't mean like spiritually dark, I mean like practically dark drive home. A lot of back roads. And he was driving home one time and he was a little tired and, and, and he's driving. And as he's driving, he, he kept feeling like he was hearing a, a, a noise go, stop, stop. And he kind of kept driving. He's like, whoa, I better wake up or something like that, right? And he keep driving and stop. Stop! And he's like driving along. He's like, what, what am I? This is 
And then eventually it got so loud. Stop, stop, stop. That he, he stopped the car and he saw that there were people lined up on the side of the road yelling, stop, stop, stop. Because a little further down the road, a semi truck had crashed and was just laying across the entire road. And there he was driving 50, 60, whatever miles an hour into it. I'm glad he stopped. And everything I've talked about this morning is my best attempt as your pastor to look at you and say, stop, stop, stop. Because that scene or that, that thing in your heart that you think I'm going to get here and it's going to finally fulfill and satisfy. Let me tell you, the moment you get here and sit down, you think I've finally made it. All that's going to happen is another one of these is going to pop up over there and Satan's going to say, no, no, that's where you really got to get to. And you're going to have to start the process all over again. And it's going to be draining and it's going to ruin you. And all along, God and all of his different mechanisms and his great love is saying, stop, 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 and turn around and be drawn back and see the beauty of his grace and come on and sit right here because right here there is no shame. Right here there is only grace. Right here is the life that is truly life. Right here is regardless of whatever that sin was and how much it hurt and, and even how much practical ramification there may have been. There is still a loving God who says, come and sit with me in my joy. Oh, and that is the beauty of this gospel. So yeah, repentance is a heavy topic. Oh, but it is the only road to your freedom. And I want all of us headed this way. So before we go, let's take a minute or a couple minutes. I want to give you a couple minutes to work your way through this process. I'm going to hope that God in his Holy Spirit can use the sermon as enough motivation to move you out of the pre-phase of cover-up and can use this, and he has used it, as the conviction phase. And if it hasn't been enough, let me just plead with you Stop. Stop the sin. Stop thinking it's not a big deal. Stop thinking the rules don't apply to you. Stop thinking that one part of your life doesn't have to be submitted to him. Like you can sit on this chair holding that football. just confess it. Acknowledge it. 
then I would say, go the next step and crucify him today. And I can smile right now. Because I can tell you, confession may be the hardest thing you ever do. Crucifixion might feel like a death, and it is. Oh, but on the other side of it, it is so beautiful. And God will form new out of the ashes. Because that's what he does. Let's take our moment. What do you need to acknowledge? you've been faithful to acknowledge it right now. Would you pray the bold prayer of crucifixion? God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help me to put this thing to death once and for all. as I talk, there's an element of confession that can happen between us and God. For some in here, you may need to take it another step. You may need to confess something to another person, whether it's me, an elder, someone you trust, simply because the scriptures teach us that that's part of the healing process. That's why we have to build this whole thing around trust and family but your healing will come when you step out as we're encouraged to in James to confess and then let somebody else begin to pray for us. And when we do that with somebody who understands grace, there's no judgment. As I've told you guys before, I already assume you're screwed up. Telling me how doesn't change anything. And I don't want to make light of sin but I also don't want you to think that your sin is more powerful than his grace. I don't want anyone in here to have to walk any longer in the physical, emotional, spiritual, relational damage of concealed sin. There's no reason to. You got a church of people around here who love you and are going to walk with you. Like today might be the day where you finally step out of the hidden place and the light finally begins to break in again. 
moment you walk out of here, what the enemy's going to say is, you took care of it. You're all good. Don't send the text. Don't make the phone call. Don't do the thing. You're good. And you're going to want to sneak back in. And I'm telling you, you sneak back in, that thing will come back up. So crucify it once and for all, man, woman. All right. Next week, I'm going to talk about what happens when grace has led us to repentance and then we start moving down this path and the joy that he brings as a result. I hope you'll join me. Let me pray for you guys. Father, I can trust that through your Holy Spirit, you have spoken exactly what you need to speak. And for those here who still, still want to push away your conviction, Father, I pray they would do it now and repent now so that you don't have to amp up your conviction. Because out of your love, you will. Help us to stop, stop, stop. Father, I pray that for those who know that there's a conversation that needs to be had, that they would have it today, that they would not put it off, and that the, the motivation of the joy on the other end would make them take the move they gotta take. Father, make us into a church where we can trust and hold each other up even in each other's lowest moments. I think that's the church you came to plant. We want to be that. And Father, I bet that there's some people in here today who are already sensing the freedom and so thank you. And I pray into next week that when we gather next Sunday, that your Holy Spirit would meet us here, pick us up from exactly where we've left off and let us know how affection for you begins to grow. We ask all these things in Christ's name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.